0: A divine conspiracy is unfolding, we're about to relive it. In this month, as we focus on the holy discipline of scripture reading and scripture meditation, as we focus on what it means to eat the word, we're reminded that reading and meditating are a means to an end. Dr. Powers and his worship class have helped us to be part of this conspiracy this morning and how they've designed our worship experience. And we are being called once again to the word not only written and spoken, but to also that word which is present and lived through us in the liturgies of our worship and in the liturgies of our lives. We're being called to a sacramental life, a whole being revelation, a life of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let me remind us of this backdrop, this backstory of this transformative call that we're about to look at. Liturgical scholar Scott Hahn describes this three stage conspiracy that God's about in our lives. That in fact, God has this divine accommodation, what what Hahn calls economy, that all of history is staged to make God known. All of scriptures tell of the Messiah. And all that is around us is orchestrated so that God might get our attention. In that unfolding of God's economy, there is this pedagogy that happens, this typology, as Han calls it, that helps us to recognize Christ in what's happening around us. The written word becomes a type of the living word. And we now have this ability to gather around the word of God and in that word of God, to see the living word, Jesus Christ. But as logical and rational as that might be, there's a third stage of this conspiracy. This mystagogy, uh, as that kind of divine illumination that says, in the breaking of bread, we see Jesus. In the midst of this liturgy we are about to enter into, we see Christ. And Christ in such a powerful way that not only do we experience Christ, but we receive Christ. We're not simply participating, we're being transformed. This is the three-stage conspiracy that God has in front of us. And as we look at the life of Jeremiah, we see that same cycle working out in his life, in his work as a prophet. You remember that Jeremiah was that one called of God who had about 40 years of ministry to especially those who were in Judah. He survived four different reigns of the, the Judean kings. And as he was there, he proclaimed the judgment of God on Judah. There was a young friend of mine who, when I was in graduate school, had their first baby. And he was a layperson at the time and said, I'm not quite sure why, but I just feel God calling us to name him Jeremiah. I said, do you realize what you're about to do? You understand that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. You understand how long he had to be faithful to proclaim the word of God. Now that my friend is a pastor, I think he has a better understanding of the implications of calling his son Jeremiah. He was born in Josiah's reign in a town just north of Jerusalem and was a preacher's kid, the son of a priest. He was an international prophet with a political savvy and insight into comparative religions and whose prophecies continued to sometime after the fall of Jerusalem in 586. He was contemporary with Ezekiel and also Habakkuk and we're told by Jewish tradition that he was stoned to death in Egypt because of his prophecies. He was thrown in prison. He angered not just one nation, but multiple nations, Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, and others. He was forbidden by God to have a wife or children, and he was described as regularly being in anguish. And who wouldn't be in anguish, anguish having to bring 70 years of prophecy, of judgment, of what God was about to do to Judah? As one scholar notes, Jeremiah's task as a prophet was to declare the coming judgment of God, However, throughout the book, we see God's concern for repentance and righteousness in individuals as well as the nations. This dual focus is seen in God's instructions to Jeremiah. He was to pluck up and to break down, but also to build and to plant. Jeremiah sees a future day when God will write his law on human hearts, and they shall all know me, and I will remember their sin no more. R.K. Harrison uh, notes that he has been quoted, Jeremiah's been quoted more than 40 times in the New Testament And especially in the book of Revelation. So with that backdrop, let me get us into the story here in Jeremiah chapter 1. God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you, I consecrated you, and I appointed you. Jeremiah's a preacher's kid. And by the way, if you're a preacher's kid, God bless you. I know what it was for my daughter to put up with my infirmities, we'll call them. My quirks, my oddities. And thank God they still love Jesus. This preacher's kid, Jeremiah, grew up knowing the Torah. He knew what it was to be immersed in the covenant. And yet the word of God now takes that prior experience into his teenage years and says, Now, I knew you before and I have a call upon your life. In that sense, he reflects the word of Jesus to the disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The same word we get through Paul in the book of Ephesians. In chapter one, he says, even as he God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know what your call looked like. I don't know if it came in your teenage years, like Jeremiah, or maybe in an older time or day, or for some I've talked to even as elementary or younger folks. I know when I heard God's call, I had a little bit of wrestling to do. I had a of excuses, and so did Jeremiah. Lord God, wait a second. I am just a teenager. I'm not even old enough to be a priest. Well, i do not a prophet. What are you talking about? I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. I'm too immature. I can't pull it off. Sound familiar? And yet you know the Lord's response. God seems to always have the first word and the last word and everything in between. And so the instructions are very clear. Don't be making excuses about being too young. You will go while I send you. You will speak what I command. Thankfully, Jeremiah was not like the teenagers of today. He actually did not rebel. He listened. God also said, don't be afraid. I am with you to deliver you. And over and over again throughout the book, that reminder, that promise continues. Now, if that's Jeremiah's call, here's Jeremiah's assignment. The Lord touches Jeremiah's mouth and puts the words of God in his mouth. And he says to him, I have set you over nations and kingdoms to pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, build, and plant. Now, I'm very thankful, maybe you are too, that God didn't call me to prophetic ministry, or at least I thought. I have a general desire to make folks like me. I think it's a good idea to have good rapport with folks, especially when you're in a parish and they pay your salary. I have these kind of anxieties about ticking folks off. And yet, Jeremiah was called to a prophetic kind of witness. And he was given the very words of God to speak. I prefer not to tear down. I prefer not to pluck up. And God said, no more questions. This is your call. But then God turns a table and helps Jeremiah to see differently. He says, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, that looks like an almond branch to me. It looks like it's, it's a part of the almond tree. The commentators in the voice put it this way. Words are the tool of a prophet. The word of God comes asking the prophet what he sees. He responds that he sees something rather ordinary, an almond tree. God uses this ordinary sight to give him an extraordinary message. There's also a play of words here in that the word Hebrew words for almond and watching sound alike. Jeremiah sees an almond which is shaped like a person's eye and God says he is watching. This playful, and clever clever use of words gets Jeremiah's attention and it schools him in how to be a faithful prophet in the word of God. A second time, God says to Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah says there's a boiling pot facing north as a symbol of the northern tribes at Jerusalem's gate. And God sends Jeremiah to the world. Many years ago, back in the uh, the 70s, there was a prophet who came to town. He was from England, from the UK. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. And I can remember in the revival across the street as a college student, I happened to be sitting up in the balcony during that time because we were assigned seats during chapels during those days. I think they still are. But I wanted to have a little freedom, kind of, you know, have my independence. So I sat up in the balcony instead. I can remember in the middle of his sermon, he stopped and said, You silver spoon fed brats. You are so spoiled in the gospel. You won't pay the price that God's calling you to pay. And right then and there, I said, Lord God, never make me a prophet. (laughs) But this was Jeremiah's call. Whether or not in the spirit of Leonard Ravenhill, he was called to bring the judgment of God. Ready or not. Not only did God change how Jeremiah sees, he also then says to Jeremiah, get dressed for work and get out there telling them everything I've commanded you. It's as if God is saying to Jeremiah, I'm about to send you out, so get ready, but you won't be alone. In fact, he says, I'm going to fortify you against Judah. Now, for most of us, if we're lay people, we end up in the marketplace or maybe in a parish church organization, we won't have an entire nation to face. For most of us who are called to the parish, we won't have any more than, say, a few hundred folks in a congregation to face. Unless, of course, the church angers the community, then it might be a different story. But for Jeremiah, he has to face all of Judah and eventually all the surrounding countries. And so the Lord says to him, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I behold, I will make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Ezekiel, one of his contemporaries, as my Old Testament professor said across the street, his very name might mean stiff-necked. And when Ezekiel was called, he was called to a stiff-necked people. And it's almost as if God said, I will make your neck stiffer than the people you will speak to. Here, it's almost as if God says, you're about to go against fortified cities, but your fortifications will be greater. Now, just in case we take that too lightly, don't see the whole implication of it. As you go through the book of Jeremiah, there are plenty of examples. Let me lift up one. In chapter 27, about the middle of the book, God calls Jeremiah to fashion a yoke and to put that yoke on his neck and to walk out and prophesy to the people. So leather straps, wooden bars, he's placing it on his neck and he's going out like a donkey or an ox to prophesy to the people. It is bad enough we have to speak God's word. It's even harder we have to act out God's word. As he went out to give this prophecy that we would have to stay, as the people of Judah, we'd have to stay under the yoke of Babylon, under the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, there was a minority report. More accurately, there was a majority report, and Jeremiah was the minority. Because this other prophet, this prophet Hananiah, comes up and tears off that yoke and says, Jeremiah, you're crazy. You're not hearing the word right. You're saying 70 years and submitting to, to the, the rule of Babylon? You're out of your mind. Here's the deal, Jeremiah. I heard the word of the Lord as well. And the Lord told me it would only be two or three years and then they'll be delivered. Jeremiah says, all right, if that's what God says to you, we'll see. So as Jeremiah came before Hanani and the people who said, may it be so. May the eternal do just as you said. May confirm that your prophecy is true by bringing back the items stolen from the temple. Better yet, may he bring all the exiles back from Babylon. But now hear what I have to say to you and to all these people listening to us. It's bad enough to have to prophesy to the people, to have to prophesy to your peers, to other prophets, to other preachers. Long before either of us was here in the days of old, there were prophets who spoke strong words against many nations and kingdoms. They, too, predicted war, famine, and disease, but they had been proven right. Now, as for the prophet who prophesies peace, how are we to know whether he is a true prophet sent by the eternal? Only when that prediction comes true. Hen and I grabbed that yoke around Jeremiah's neck and broke it. He turned to the people and gave his own explanation. Jeremiah then comes back to Hananiah in just a few verses and says, Listen, Hananiah, the Eternal has not sent you, but still the people of this nation have believed your lies. So the Eternal now says this to you, Pay attention, I'm about to wipe you from the face of the earth. Because you've stirred up rebellion against me with your words, you will die this year. And the following verse says, Later that year, in the seventh month, Hananiah the prophet Died. How fearful is the word of God. How terrible is having to speak it. How unnerving to act it out. How unthinkable that it comes true. Unless it is a word of hope. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, there is prophecy of judgment of god 's anger towards his people, but there is also always a prophecy of hope. there was always that word of redemption there was always that promise of a future isn 't that famous verse we use out of jeremiah twenty nine seventeen By the way, when folks quote that verse out of context, I remind them of the context, but over and over again, jeremiah has this word not only of judgment, but of hope. And Jeremiah models for us what it is not only to hear the word, but to receive that word, to speak the word, and to live out that word. So in the next few moments, I would want to invite you to the staging area of God's divine conspiracy. At this table, we come. This is where we move from God's word written and spoken to the living word, Christ, present and lived through us by the power of the Holy Spirit in the liturgies of our worship, and in the liturgies of our lives. This is where God's economy shows us Christ revealed and present. This is where we not only experience the mystery, we participate in the mystery no matter the cost prophets of God, are you willing to say yes? As Reverend Dwight Moutonono comes, prepare your hearts to receive the mysteries of God.